Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now in the verses we'll look at today, we'll see that Paul preached Christ and Him crucified. Whenever the Lord opened the door for Him to be able to speak, and we know that He wrote over in Corinthians that we preach Christ and Him crucified and not ourselves. So whenever the Lord opened the door for Paul to be able to preach Christ, he boldly preached Christ. And he did not shy away from proclaiming the truth. He did not shy away from it. He did not wonder what some would think. He unashamedly preached Christ and Him crucified. And Paul's message, we know, was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we'll read verses 13 to 43, but we're going to go through verse by verse here. And I want us to take note that Paul will build up the preaching Christ and Him crucified, which you do in verses 23 to 39. Paul and Barnabas had come to Antioch in Sadia by the providence of God. What we read here happened and fell out all according to the providence of God. Always remember that. You are here today by the providence of God to hear this message by the providence of God. Saved or lost, it's by God's providential hand that we have been bought together. And so Paul and Barnabas have come to Antioch and Sadia by the providence of God. And Paul, we will see, will have a door opened for him by the Lord, of course, because only the Lord opens the door for us to preach and proclaim the gospel. And here have the Lord open the door for him to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now remember, Paul and his company would be noticed as strangers. They'd be noticed as strangers who had come to the synagogue because the Jews of that place would be well known to one another. And they would notice when there was two or three people in the congregation or meeting there that they'd not been used to seeing. They would take note of that. Look at verse 13. Now when Paul and his company had loosed from Paphos, they came to Pergia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, Paphos was a coastal city on the west end of the island of Cyprus. And there was a seaport there. And Paul and his company boarded a ship that was leaving the island of Cyprus. And from there they sailed through the Sea of Pamphylia and landed at Perga, a place in Asia Minor. Leaving that place, they went to Antioch in Sadia. And this is brought forth to distinguish it from Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were sent out as missionaries. Look at verse 14. But when they departed Perga, they came to Antioch and Sadia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now we will see right before us here in the scriptures that a door of utterance will be opened by the Lord for Paul. Paul wrote in the epistles, pray that a door of utterance would be opened for me. Pray that for me, that, that folks in this 
community that a door of utterance would be open for me to be able to speak to some of them as I'm out and about, or some of you too. Pray for a door of utterance for you to tell the wonderful things that God hath done for you. It's wonderful. So a door of utterance will be opened again by God's sovereign hand, by his providence, for Paul. And we'll see that Paul proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now these men of God were not legalists. They were not trying to keep the law of Moses. They knew that the unbelieving Jews still observed the Sabbath day and still assembled on that day for public worship. So Paul and Barnabas took advantage of the opportunity before them. They always had a desire to preach the gospel. Every preacher has a desire to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord opened the door, we will see that God the Holy Spirit was pleased to open the door and give them utterance for that very purpose, for him to proclaim Christ. Look at verse 15. And after the reading of the law, And the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if if ye have any word of exhortation for people, say on. Now God's preachers, again, desire to preach the gospel. And one grace preacher I know, he said, when a door of utterance is opened to a preacher, it's like saying sick him to a dog. And that's true. Because we love to preach the gospel. We love to preach the gospel. And the gospel preacher will not promote himself. But he will delight in proclaiming the only savior of sinners. The only savior of sinners. Seeking to bring glory and honor and praise to our great God. Seeking to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also pray that God would make the preaching of the gospel effectual. Effectual. Look at verse 16. Now Paul takes that opportunity right there. Knowing that God is the one who's opened this door. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand. (coughs) Said men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. So when it came to preaching the gospel. Paul by the sovereign grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was a master, master builder. A wise master builder. And God the Holy Spirit had given his apostle the special gifts. That were needed to gain the attention of any class of people. Paul could pretty well speak to anyone. He'd probably be likened to someone who'd never met a stranger. He could speak to pretty well anybody. And he was well acquainted also, remember, with the religious customs and cultures as he, of the Jews as he was a Pharisee at one time. <coughs> and he was raised in the Jewish religion. So all of Paul's messages, we know, pointed to Christ, pointed right to Christ. They pointed to he, who he was, they pointed to what he had accomplished for his chosen people, and they pointed to where Christ the Lord is right now. And we'll see that too as we go further on in the text here. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, our sovereign creator, and he became a man so that he could die for the sins of his people, so that he could reconcile us to God. Think of this, you who believe. There is no way for you to be reconciled to God outside of Christ. Think of you who sit here and do not know Christ. There is no way for you to be reconciled to God without Christ. No way. 
No way for any human to be reconciled with God but through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So Paul took every opportunity he had to preach and proclaim Christ. He preached that he's risen from the grave and that he's now seated on the sovereign throne in, in glory, ruling over all things in heaven and earth as the exalted, glorified God-man. And we bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? We who are his people, we confess him as our sovereign Lord, our Savior. And if one does not do that, they will die in their sins and go to eternal torment. And all of God's preachers know that salvation is of the Lord. We know that it's of the Lord from start to finish. And we know that we can't deal with the heart. We know that God must deal with the heart. Only God can save you. I preach and proclaim the one whose salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, in him alone. Salvation is a work of God. And we do not water down the gospel when we preach and proclaim the gospel. God's preachers don't water down the gospel. We, we don't set out to offend people, but we know that the gospel's offensive, isn't it? When the gospel's preached and proclaimed, it offends the pride of man. So it's not our intent to deliberately offend anyone, but when salvation is preached by works, the offense of the cross is ceased. Ceased. We preach salvation only in Christ, in Christ alone. Paul, knowing that this would gain their attention, look, note this starting in verse 17. He begins his message by giving his hearers a brief account of the history of the Israelites. Look at verse 17 to 22. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm bought he them out of it. He bought them out by his sovereign power, didn't he? Because God is absolutely sovereign. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their lot to them by their land to them by lot. God is nothing to be messed with. <laughs> he's nothing to be, he's no one to be taken lightly at all. Scripture just declares there he just destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. And after he, that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, see, God raises up kings, doesn't he? And he removes kings, however he's pleased. It's his doing. He can, he's sovereign. It says right there, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David. So he removed one king, and he raised up another, beloved. And that's what our God does, to be their king. <coughs> to also... He gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, everything that Paul had said in the preceding verses was leading up to this point here where we're coming. Paul is now going to preach Christ to them. He's now going to preach Christ and him crucified. And we'll look at that later in the message after reading the, the rest of the text that the Apostle Paul tells us 
in this part of the message five things. This coming up, he tells us five things about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. Uh, this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. <coughs> now, the Jews knew that the promised Messiah was to come through the seed of David. They knew that. But they were still looking for him. They were still looking for him. They didn't believe that Jesus, whom they had crucified, was the Messiah. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe that. But through the wisdom of God, God the Holy Spirit had given to Paul, he had, he had captured the attention of his audience by declaring first the history, the history of Israel. A little brief history of it. And now he's going to declare the truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bring forth the truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's promise in raising him up as Israel's Savior. Look at verse 24. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Paul here before us in the Holy Scriptures referring to John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. The majority of the Jews believed that John the Baptist was God's prophet. And John went before the, our Lord Jesus Christ preparing the way for him by preaching the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Look at verse 25. <coughs> and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. Referring, he's saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of feet I am not worthy to loose. Now, like all of God's ordained, sovereign, sovereignly sent ministers, John did not draw attention to himself. He pointed his followers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was quick to tell them that he was not the Messiah. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he is the one. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, John the Baptist said what? Behold, there cometh one after me whose feet, whose shoes of, of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 29. He identified, though, who the Messiah was. John identified who the Messiah was. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith what? Behold. Behold. The Lamb of God. That's who Christ is. He's God's Lamb. He's the sent one. He's the Messiah. He's the one sent to redeem his people from their sins. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He's taken away all the sins of his people, hasn't he? They're gone. He's bought and paid. He's, he, he, he purchased us with his own precious blood. This, look at this. This is he of whom I said after me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. He came from glory. He came from glory, beloved. Let's go back to Acts chapter 13 now. And we'll see here in verses 24 to 27. 
Paul masterfully brings the first point of five points about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ here before the hearer, before his hearers. Notice the first point here is the fact that Christ came to this earth. The fact that he came to this earth. Acts 13, verse 24 to 27. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled this course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this word of salvation sent. Now think of this. Every time a gospel preacher gets up and preaches the gospel, the word of salvation is sent. Now God will do with it what he's pleased, eh? But it goes forth with power, doesn't it? And sometimes, when the Lord's pleased, he draws one of his lost sheep to him. Other times, the sheep of God are built up and edified, pointed to Christ, but it will accomplish. It will not return unto the Lord void, will it? His word will not. But think of this, unto you is this word of salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and the rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. He brings forth before his hearer that the fact that John the Baptist had one mission. He was sent to prepare the way. To prepare the way to identify the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, who is the Lamb of God, which we read over in in John chapter 1. He will proclaim by identifying him that truly he is the Son of God. Truly he is God's Lamb. Truly he is God incarnate in the flesh. And he dwells among us. So Paul brings forth the fact right off the bat that the Lord Jesus Christ was here. That he came to this earth. Again, I'll read over there in John chapter 1. You won't have to turn, but I'll read verses 29 to 34. The next day, Jesus, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. He was in glory, wasn't he? Before he came to this earth, he was in glory. He's the word of God. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Now take note of that little word right there, made manifest to Israel, to God's elect, the Israel of God. That's who he manifests himself to, isn't it? He manifests himself to his people. Therefore am I come baptizing with water, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, or said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So John proclaimed who Christ was. John proclaimed that he was the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. That's who he was sent to prepare the way and proclaim, identify that this truly was the Son of God. 
And the Son of God came into this world, we know why, to save sinners. To save his people from their sins. How? By the sacrifice of himself. By the sacrifice of himself. And every believer says he did that for me. The second point I'd like us to see that Paul brings forth in the preaching of Christ and him crucified, that Christ died, the fact that he died. And we know that he died for his people. We know that we're sinners. Let's go back to Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 27 to 29. (coughs) For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. So Paul brings forth the fact of his coming, and now he brings forth the fact of his death. He was innocent. He was a righteous man. He knew no sin. And yet Christ was despised and rejected by men. And the Son of God died by the hands of wicked men. But he died according to the purpose of God, didn't he? He died according to the purpose of God. And he died as the sinner's substitute. Every believer says, praise God, he did that. Praise God he did that. He died the sinner substitute because because he alone must satisfy the justice of God. I ask you here, every one of us, and anyone who will hear this, can you by yourself satisfy even one law of God by anything you do, say, any action? No. Not one. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world as the sinner substitute, as the substitute of his people. And he fully satisfied the law of God in the place of his people. And he, I like what one old timer said, and I mentioned this on Wednesday night as we looked at Christ our advocate, he extinguished the wrath of God in the place of his people. No more wrath for us. Not that which was rightly deserved for us fell upon Christ. Mercy. Oh, what mercy. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. It's very clear right here. The fact that he died as the sinner's substitute. That he died to save guilty sinners from the wrath of God. Never, ever let this become commonplace. As a believer, let this ever fill you with awe that Christ did this for you and Christ did this for me. Look at this, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, see, we have no way to save ourselves, do we? We were fallen, dead in trespasses and sins, without any strength, without any ability to save ourselves. Yet, when we were, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
You see what the Bible calls us in our natural state? The ungodly. You don't hear that much from pulpits of today. But that's what the scripture claims. We're sinners. And we need a savior. Desperately. Desperately. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. And think of this, you who are the elect of God. And we did not know this when we were dead in trespasses and sins, did we? But God commanded his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, and well that, and well that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That brings it right home, doesn't it? Much more than being now justified by his blood. Oh, praise God for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for the remission of my sins. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Look at that. Those, in Christ, those outside of Christ are not saved from wrath but the wrath of God will fall upon them. But look at this wondrous verse. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Why? Because the wrath of God for our sins was totally extinguished and poured out upon Christ in our place. Because that law has to be satisfied, doesn't it? It has to be. That justice must be satisfied of God, because it's perfect. And it will be satisfied either in the substitute or in the sinner. Oh, what a wondrous verse this is. Much more than being now justified by his blood, he gave his life for us. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Wonder of wonders. Note in verse 27, the words speaking of the Jews and the rulers who put him to death. They knew him not. They knew him not. You know, give thanks if you know him, because there was a time when we knew him not, wasn't there? And he is pleased to reveal himself to us. And I like what several grace preachers, I've heard this say, and I believe this. I know, I know, I know who I was before the Lord saved me. And I've heard several grace preachers say this, that in our lost natural state, we'd have been screaming, crucify him, crucify him, right along with all them Jews. Oh, what mercy God has on his people. Oh, what mercy. Look at this. They knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets. They didn't know, they, they did not see Christ or even know Christ. They didn't hear the voice of the shepherd which are read every Sabbath day. They heard, the, they heard the, the, the Isaiah read. They heard Jeremiah. They heard, and they never saw Christ at all. They didn't really hear what the prophets were saying. Because the prophets, we know, and the law was all pointing to Christ. It was all pointing to Christ. And one of the reasons these unbelieving Jews unjustly condemned Christ is because they didn't know him even though they read the Old Testament prophets every Sabbath day. They had absolutely no spiritual understanding of what they were reading. 
Now, they were very religious, weren't they? Oh, there's a lot of religious folks out there, isn't there? Oh, very religious they were. They followed things. They even made laws that, that just yoked people. Oh, very religious folks. But just as lost as any hell-deserving sinner who never darkened the door of a church. They were in the same state. Jews were religious but void of spiritual understanding and without spiritual understanding, which only God the Holy Spirit can give you. As one commentator said, religion will damn your soul. But Christ will save you. (laughs) Christ will save you. So Christ came to this earth. Why? To save his people from their sins. To save his people from their sins. And he died as the substitute of his people. Now we see Paul bring forth the fourth point, the third point, I'm sorry, about the person and work of Christ. The fact that he arose from the grave for our justification. (coughs) Acts chapter 13, verses 30 to 37. But God raised him from the dead. See, Paul just keeps preaching Christ, doesn't he? But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. See, every time the gospel is preached, beloved, it's glad tidings. I preach good news, not bad. I preach good news for sinners. And God's people say, oh, that's good news, isn't it? It's good news. It's wonderful news. Every time the gospel is preached, no matter who's preaching it, for God's people, it's good news. It's good news. If it's not, there's something wrong. It's good news. It's good news. Glad tidings. Glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, and us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And is concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, notice that David served his generation by the will of God. God's preachers and and people, we serve our generation all by the will of God. Remember, we're a chosen generation. Each each of us is chosen out of our generation. It's amazing. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on the sleep. He died and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Oh, my goodness, that's our sinless Savior. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's public declaration that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of David and that he has put away the sins of his people. He put them away. He's put them away. How? By the sacrifice of himself because they were imputed to him. They were imputed to him. And thereby he has satisfied divine justice in our place. Good tidings, isn't it? Good tidings. Wonderful news. Absolutely wonderful news. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is very important and an essential part of the preaching of the gospel. Think of this. (coughs) If Christ had not risen, 
then our preaching's in vain. Our faith is in vain. And all of us are yet in our sins. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul wrote of this. Paul wrote of this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 14 to 17. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. See how important the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is to our salvation? Well, how important it is? Well, the scripture says in Romans that he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's how important it is. Like it says, yea, and are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead not rise, or rise not. For if the dead rise not, then, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Oh, so Paul boldly preached and proclaimed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He See, the world does this on supposed Easter. Eh? Every, you know, suppose we preach Christ every time, a risen Savior. We preach the birth of Christ all the time. The fact that he came into this world. My. My. He's raised for... Rejoice, beloved. Rejoice, beloved God. The scripture says he was delivered for our offenses, which means he died on Calvary's cross in our room and place. And then the scriptures declare that he was raised for our justification. Rejoice. This is wonder. This is glad tidings for sinners. And, and knowing that God is satisfied and he raised him for our justification means that we who are in Christ, that God sees us in Christ. This is wonderful news. Oh, my. And we're reconciled to God by the death of Christ, aren't we? But much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, Romans 5.10. Oh, because Christ has died in our place, because of the work he, the work he has done as our substitute, then the sure mercies of David, which are all in Christ, will be bestowed upon his people. Good news. Good news. Glad tidings, beloved. The fourth point Paul brings forth by the preaching of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is the fact that he reigns. He reigns right now. He's not waiting to reign. He's not waiting to reign, beloved. <coughs> we, know. <coughs> we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Look at Acts 13, verses 33 to 35. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. Now, where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? He's at the right hand of the Father. As it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And it's concerning that he raised him up from the dead. Now no more to, to return to corruption. He saith unto wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He's raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Right now. And he is king. And he reigns as the son of David. And the sure mercies of David are only found in him. And they are bestowed to chosen sinners by the grace and mercy of God. 
fifth point I'd like us to consider from our text is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ saves. And we see this plainly brought forth too. Plainly brought forth. Look at verses 38 and 39. 38 and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you. Now remember, the word of God is sent. Through this man is preached unto you what? The forgiveness of sins. That's what the scripture says. The forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are what? Justified. Remember before I said we couldn't justify ourselves? We couldn't satisfy the law of God? This is marvelous. Do you see how, do you see how wonderful this news is? Do you see how, why Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that this is glad tidings? And by him, all that believe, all that have faith in Christ, are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, the law can't justify us. What does it do? It shows us our sin. It shows that we're but sinners. It shows us that we have no ability to save ourselves. Oh, my. And by him, that being Christ, all that believe, all that rust and trust and look to Christ, no matter how small your faith is, because faith's a gift of God, isn't it? Do you, are you looking to Christ? Do you look to him? Is he your only hope? And by him, all that believe, do you believe on him? Do you trust him and rest in him? And by him, by Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law, law of Moses. The gospel of the free grace of God in Christ is a message, beloved, of redemption accomplished. Redemption accomplished by the substitutionary sacrifice of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a proclamation of the free forgiveness of all our sins and complete justification for all who believe upon the grounds of justice satisfied. Justice satisfied? How? By the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before God, because that's who he died before, wasn't it? He offered himself up before God for our sins, because our sins was against God, wasn't they? Oh, he offered himself up to God for his people. And then his righteousness is imputed to us. Wonder of wonders. Scripture declares this. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 3. We'll read in light of what we just read there. In light of that. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. Look at this. And you know what? If you're justified, if you're justified in Christ... It's freely by the grace of God. It's freely. It's a gift that's been given to you, beloved. Oh, my. Being justified freely, how? By his grace. Through the redemption, there's the cost, beloved. Oh, what a cost. Through the redemption, through the giving of his life, through the shedding of his blood that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God 
set forth. This is a work of God. Marvel at that. We could not save ourselves, and that which is impossible for us, God sends His Son. God sends His Son, the Word of God, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation. That means to make appeasement, a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that we might be, or that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, just and justifier there talks about God being just in the fact that his law must be satisfied and his justice must be satisfied. So not only is he the lawgiver, think of this too, he gives the law at Sinai, right? And he's the one who satisfies it. What mercy. He's just, and he's the justifier of his people. Wonder of wonders. And again, I want to bring this out in verse 32. Look at this in verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings. Glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto our fathers. Glad tidings. Those two little words. Glad tidings. The preaching of the one true gospel of God's sovereign mercy through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, is glad tidings to those who hear. Glad tidings to those who are the recipients of the sure mercies of David. The gospel means good news. Good news. And the preaching of God's gospel is good news to a genuine sinner. It's good news to a genuine sinner. And the only way that we know that we are sinners is that the Holy Spirit reveals this to us. That's the only way we know. And if you had, have had revealed to you that you're a genuine sinner, and you're looking to Christ, rejoice. Rejoice. Because the gospel's glad tidings, isn't it? It's glad tidings. And when God the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, then we see through the enlightened eyes we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. We do not just see that we do sin. We see that we are sin. We see that everything we do and say and think is tainted with sin. And we see that we have no righteousness of our own before God. And that we have absolutely nothing to recommend us to God. Absolutely nothing. We see that we're dead in trespasses and sins, and we see that we are completely bankrupt, helplessly and hopelessly lost. And we see that we are unable to get ourselves out of that state. That's what God reveals to a genuine sinner. And then we see that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the only righteousness that God will accept. A perfect righteousness. A perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness is given to every born-again, blood-washed saint of God, beloved. And it's proclaimed through the preaching of the gospel. And it's glad tidings, isn't it? It's glad tidings. And we'll see that judgment day is coming. We know it is. And that all of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we 
we rejoice, we who are the blood-bought sheep of God, as on that great day we will stand on his right, right hand, dressed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And we will hear, we will hear these words. And remember, we'll only hear these words by the grace and mercy of God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. All by mercy and all by grace. So I ask you then, is not the preaching of the gospel glad tidings to his people? Oh, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's good. And this is what, what must be preached. We must preach the gospel. Gospel preachers know, and not only by that which is plainly taught in Scripture, but from experience as well, that the majority of those who hear the gospel will turn a deaf ear to it. But some will hear. Some will hear. Because of the sovereign mercy and power of God. And because God makes it effectual. And by God's sovereign grace, those who hear rejoice. Rejoice in the good news. In the glad tidings which is being proclaimed. And they will rejoice and give thanks and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the one true living God, the only Savior of sinners. Praise his mighty name. Heavenly Father, we thank thee by thy providence for allowing us to gather together. Oh Lord, you are so wondrous to your people. You are so wondrous to us and the gospel is wonderful, glad tidings which brings us great joy in which we can cling to, Lord, is you through the trials and tribulations of this life. You are ever with us. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Glory to your name, O Lord. We pray that if there is one here that does not know thee, O Lord, that if it's your, it pleases you that you reveal yourself to them. O Lord, we, we lift up people we know and love before thee. We pray that you'd have mercy upon them, O Lord. We pray that you would draw them by thy Holy Spirit if it's thy will. We bow to thee, O Lord, with grateful hearts for the glad tidings which you have given us ears to hear through the preaching of thy word. We who are your people, we who are purchased by thy precious blood. Glory to you, Lord. Honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.